Amen. All right, kids, you can head on upstairs. The rest of you can take your Bibles to Isaiah 62. spoke with Brother uh, Dwight Smith yesterday. Most of you know Dwight. And uh, <clears throat> Dwight and the text group here uh, two weeks ago had sent out to, well, it's a group that was here at the stand conference. He sent out to us a text and asked us to pray for uh, a pastor up in Rhode Island. And uh, <clears throat> he'd been a a pastor there in uh, Rhode Island for 37 years in the same church. And as a matter of fact, he had helped start two more churches in 2018 and uh, has been pastoring all three of those churches. And I find it interesting, one of those churches is in Providence. And for those of you who are history buffs, uh, Rhode Island was a Baptist colony. And when it first started... It was, uh, it was founded by a Baptist preacher who wanted to get away from the persecution of the uh, Congregationalists, uh, the Puritans, and, and the Church of England, uh, even here in America. This was in the uh, 1700s. And so that Rhode Island was actually founded as a uh, Baptist colony and in Providence. And one of those churches he was pastoring was there in Providence. And uh, anyway, had some heart issues, had heart surgery last year, and then uh, a couple weeks ago had to go in for a minor procedure and uh, ended up, that was his day to uh, see his Savior. And so he went to, went to heaven. He was uh, 65 or 67 years old, wasn't too, too old. But Dwight shared with me yesterday, um, it just reminds me of, what we ought to be doing. Charles Spurgeon once made this statement. He said, make sure that you carve your name on hearts, not on marble. And uh, Dwight told me that on the Friday, they had visitation at the church for him. And uh, he said it started at two and uh, it was supposed to go a couple hours. And he said he, at 1.45, the the line was already out into the parking lot of the church, and it went until 7 o'clock that night for visitation. And then the next day, they had the funeral at the high school in their gym, and he said it was full, and, and he said that the, uh, the funeral service went for four hours because of the testimonies of those in the community that God had uh, used him to reach. And uh, it was amazing, the testimonies. I just want to share uh, one. This, this uh, pastor had gone to Israel several times and uh, was one that always would go and take a group with him, and then they would go see all of the holy places there in Israel. And, and they were at the wall or next to the wall, or maybe he was in the garden. I can't remember where Dwight said he was at, but there was a little... Palestinian Muslim boy that was there one year that was selling candy. 
And so the pastor and his brother, they de- and it's the brother who was given this testimony, he said they decided that they're just going to help this little guy out, so they bought all his candy, just bought him out. And so, and then they took that candy and they were going around handing it to people and giving them a track and uh, witnessing to people while they were there. And they witnessed to this little Muslim boy and his father. And his father was there and, and his father told him, he said, look, he said, if I, if I was to trust your Jesus, then I will be disowned by my family and possibly even lose my life for doing that. And the pastor was very loving, gave, you know, and just gave him a track, witnessed to him about Jesus, and went on his way. He was back there four years later in that same place, that same area, and he had given the tour of that area, and they were getting back on the bus, and they were getting ready to leave, and this young man comes running up, banging on the, the door of the bus, got the bus to stop, and the bus driver said, Pastor, this young man wants to talk to you, and he got off. He said, do you remember me? And he's like, uh, you know, remind me, you know, and, and he said, four years ago, you bought all my candy, and he said, and you witnessed to my dad, and I want you to know that my dad trusted Jesus as a Savior, and then my whole family came to know Christ as their Savior, and he said, and yes, we've been disowned by our family, but I cannot express to you the joy that I have knowing Jesus as my Savior. You know, and it just reminds me, and, and Dwight just gave testimony of testimony. Uh, there, was a, there was a man there that had uh, been addicted to cocaine and had gotten his heart right through the love of that pastor in that church and now is in leadership position in, in uh, the church. Uh, there was um, just over and over and over, Dwight shared with me for 30 minutes just the impact that he had on his community and and uh it just reminds me that we need to love with a deep love for people and and to truly um you know sometimes we can get pretty ornery and, and we can get pretty mean in in the defense of our positions and and i think there are times where we need to earnestly contend for the faith I, I absolutely know there are times when if you're staring uh, Satan or one of his demons in the eye, then you have to be strong and you have to fight for the faith. But there are other times where uh, we just need to learn to love deeply. And it's a dangerous place to be because, yes, there's going to be a time when you're probably going to get hurt. And you're going to be disappointed by those around you and and people are going to use you at times but you know what it's all worth it in the long run and and uh you know what was amazing about the testimony that dwight gave of that pastor was he just said his whole family was involved in it and his whole family just all serving and it just reminds me of what our church needs to be and what every one of us needs to focus on and and stop, we just need to stop thinking so much about ourselves and be a little more concerned about your neighbor that maybe is sitting next to you right now or uh, that one that's in at, at, the work, at your workplace or a family member or whatever. And we just need to be focused on what God wants us to do. And so let's be that. You know, let's, let's be what 
God wants us to be. And, and uh, what a joy that was to hear that um, from Dwight yesterday and hearing from uh, this pastor who had given his life uh, to that. And so let's all do that. Let's give our lives to the Lord and, and whatever our job is, let's use it to honor and glorify God and see God do something wonderful and great uh, in our community. So Isaiah 62, <clears throat> excited to be able to share this with you and all the thoughts that I have and, and have been contemplating on for the several months now and giving thought to this. And, and as, you, as you put it down on paper, it's like, okay, Lord, this really isn't, uh, uh, there, there was so much more. And so I, I guess I can just never express to you everything that, that God gives me, but I'm going to do my best today to uh, share with you what uh, some challenges that we ought to have this year in, in uh, what God wants us to be. And so I titled, or our theme, as you can see, is I've set a watchman. And so let's give a thought to being a watchman and who a watchman is, and, and let's get into this passage and, and give some thought to this. And and in Isaiah 62, as, as you study this out and read this, we, we see that, that God is writing this to Israel. This is, uh, Isaiah was writing this, telling Israel, you guys are getting ready to go into captivity for your sin, for the things that you have done, and you are going to lose your, your nationality, you're going to lose your nation's identity, you are uh, going to lose many during this day, and and you are going to be carried away out of your own country, and you're not going to have your country because of what has gone on in your life and the sin and the rebellion and you're turning your back on God. And, and, and so that's Isaiah preaching all of that. But the wonderful grace about God that he has is that he shows us that, that in his chastening that there's a purpose for that, and, and it's always for good. And so now we get into Isaiah 62, and by this time now, God is going to be telling them that, yes, you're going to be carried away, but there's going to come a day when you will get this back, and, and you need to understand that there is going to come a day that you need to be prepared for my coming. And so, and, and there's a lot entailed in that, and we'll see that, that if you go back and read Isaiah, and and he's going to talk about not only being restored some 70 years later in, in their captivity, and, and, and not just when Jesus Christ comes and the Messiah comes as that baby that was born in the manger, but he's saying that you need to be preparing for the coming of your Savior when he comes back as the Lion of Judah. And he's not coming as a, shepherd, as a, a lamb this time, but he will be coming as a lion and you need to be prepared for that, and, and that is what we have here in Isaiah 62. He is telling them that you need to prepare for Christ's coming. Now, you think about Isaiah writing this, and somewhere around, the, the, uh, around 600 B.C. or 580s or, or somewhere in that time period when, when he writes some of these things, probably in the 600s when he uh, wrote some of this, and now here we are in, in 2023, and so we're talking 2,600 years later, and, and uh, we can dare say that Christ's coming is much closer today than it was then. And so we give thought to this as we read Isaiah 62, and, 
And, and here he, he starts it off, for Zion's sake, will I not hold my peace? And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. This is God talking. This isn't, don't believe this is Isaiah talking. This is, this is God himself saying that he is not going to hold his peace and he will not be at rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. You know, we, we can see and God's love for Israel is evident and we know and understand that God's love for Israel is eternal. We know that God's covenant that he made with them is, is also an eternal covenant that he made. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 6 through 11, we see him stating that. We also um, read him stating that here in, in chapter 62 and verses 10 through 12 where he says, Go through, go through the gates, prepare you the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath pro proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. And so we know that God's covenant with Israel is eternal. We know that God delivered Israel from Egypt. We know that God is going to deliver them from Babylon as he writes here. We know also that God is going to deliver Israel through the tribulation period. And, and it will be there that he will take that remnant of believers. And, and it's then that Jesus will come at the end of the tribulation period. And, and he will set his throne upon Mount Zion. And there he will reign with a righteous reign for a thousand years and all of those believing Jews and all of those believing Gentiles, all of us that have called on Jesus to be our Savior, that we will reign with him for that thousand years. And God has promised this to happen and God has said that he will do this. And, and so as he writes chapter 62, he's wanting Israel to live in confidence of his promises to them. And he wants them to know that they will not be forsaken forever. And so we see that he speaks this in preparation of being made for them for his return and his restoration. Well, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6, I'll turn over there quickly and just uh, read that. But it tells us here to all of us who are... Who are uh, uh, believers today, he says this in chapter 5, verse 6, 1 Thessalonians, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Oh, the day is coming when that trump of the Lord shall sound, and we'll see the introduction of the tribulation by the receiving of the believers up into heaven. At that great rapture, we know that we will be gone and so what does he tell us here? But he tells us that we too ought to be watching and preparing for the coming of the Lord. And in Isaiah 62 and in verse 6, this is what he says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace. Day nor night, ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. You know, as I gave thought to this and thinking about the watchman during that day and, and, and 
during those, those times of safety and security, those cities would build these great walls around their city, and they would have certain gates that you were allowed to come in, and they would shut those gates during the evening hours and through the night, and, and then if there were enemies close, they would shut those and, and, and to keep the enemy out, and, and then they would also go and they'd have watchmen that would sit on that wall, and, and they would watch for the enemy, and God has shown them throughout the scriptures in, in Ezekiel 33, verses 6 through 11, we might go there in a moment, but tells us that those watchmen were responsible for the safety of their community. And they were there to watch for that enemy and make certain that, that if they saw anything that was coming, that they could uh, 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 raise up the, the troops and wake the people up and prepare for whatever the attack may be, but they were to be vigilant in doing so. And so three points that I want us to give thought to today is, first of all, the watchman. Secondly, whenever we think about the watchman, we need to think about uh, also the resolve of that watchman, and thirdly, the message of the watchman. And, and, and so here, he was, he, he was one that was to uh, take care of the safety of the people. Well, we also know that God had told the prophets that you too are watchmen. You need to be telling them what God's word says, and you need to be telling them that God is coming, and the Messiah is going to return, and and, and show himself, and you need to be prepared for that. And, and so here it tells us in verse 6 again, he says, I have set, God has appointed them. God has given us, just as he gave those watchmen a responsibility, God has given us a responsibility today. We need to be the watchmen, whether our community knows it or not, and whether our state cares or whether our country cares or not, God has placed us as believers today to be the watchmen for our people. We need to be the watchmen for our family. We need to be the watchmen for our community. We need to be the watchmen for our church. We need to be the watchmen for our state and, and, and our country. And, and, and we need to be the ones that are standing here and saying, Thus saith the Lord, and this is the path we take. This is the road that we're on. These are the things that we do. This is an enemy, and this is not what we do. And we don't go there, and we're not going to do those things. And oh, how important it is that, that we do that. And not only that, but we also as a watchman then need to be speaking for God and telling them that Jesus is the answer. Oh, if we don't do that, and so often we get so caught up in, in, in these ideas of, of uh, what we as believers do, we become so holy and so sanctified and so set apart that we can't even go into the world and function in the world because we can't dirty ourselves with the sin of the world. And, and then all of a sudden we, we come and we expect our church to, to be something that, that only represents that holy, sanctified uh, uh, a uh, very narrow road, and, and, and there are people that are excluded from that. You know, it's almost like the doors are wide open. But as soon as you walk in those doors, then we narrow that way down. Oh, how careful we ought to be in expecting everybody to be everything that we want them to be. And let us allow God and the Holy Spirit to take their lives and take their hearts and mold them and develop them and we love them and help them and, 
and guide them and preach the word and guard against the, the, the attacks that are out there and take them where they are and help them to get where they need to be. Oh, how we need to stay focused on that and how we ought to be standing up against those things that are unrighteous. I would sure hope that, you know, I find it, I find it amazing to me I find it amazing to me that we have, we have voted and, and the great state of Colorado has now said that psychedelic mushrooms are okay and that we need to have those everywhere. And so then, I don't know if you are aware in that ballot and in what we voted on, I had no idea it was in there. I don't, matter of fact, I didn't see it anywhere, but it is said that, like, I praise the Lord for our communities of Fort Morgan and brush that have said we will not have a pot shop in our town praise the lord for that praise the lord that they have said you're not going to do that in that state law if somebody wants to start up a mushroom shop in in fort morgan you have no legal ability to stop them from doing it even if the whole town says we don't want it isn't that amazing but I would sure hope that we still stand up against it. I would sure hope that we stand and, and, and be, be, be vigilant and tell people that it's not going to help you. I'm telling you, it's not going to help you to see pink po- polka-dotted unicorns. <laughs> All it's going to do is lead to more disasters and more dysfunctionality in our homes and in our families, in our communities, and even in our churches. Because you know who it is that picks up the pieces? It's not the pot shops. It's not the liquor stores. It's not the mushroom stores. But it's it's the churches with believers who love deeply and want to help these people to realize that that's not going to bring you happiness. But Jesus can. And so we'll be there. We'll be there to pick up the pieces. And we'll be there to help those who cause all kinds of issues. And, but oh, how we need to be the watchman. We need to be the watchman for our community, our state, and our country. But we also need to be a watchman, as I said, for our families and for our churches. You know, it says, says over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And so that, I hope, is what I'm helping you do to understand what the Word of God says, to help you mature in your faith. That's what perfecting the saints means. Where you can understand what the Word of God says and, and understand the relationship that Jesus wants you to have with him because I I know well enough that life is difficult and Jesus is the only one that's going to help you wade through the mud of the world and and help you in the deepest and darkest days that you have. And so he's given us those for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Oh, how important it is that we teach and preach the Word of God, and and not only teach and preach it, but live it. Jesus loved deeply, don't you think? 
went all the way to the cross to die for us? How willing are we to even just give our time to help someone who's battling an addiction or someone that's struggling, has gone through a messy divorce or someone that that has just lost a loved one or I don't know, whatever, someone just lost a job, whatever. How are we going to dedicate and show them that we love them? And so we need to guard that and help our families. It tells us as a church body, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the last part of verse 15, says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Oh, how important it is that we protect and, and do our best to preach and teach the word of God and the truth of God's word and stand on the truth of God's word and be what it is that God wants us to be and why. Well, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, dangerous times. Have you ever given thought that every day that you wake up and, and there might be a decision that day that could be a life and death situation that you have no idea until maybe 20 years down the road? Oh, how important it is that we understand that there are perilous days and, and that we are in a dangerous time today and that, that you as a father, you need to make sure that you are making the right decisions for your family that will impact them for eternity. You need to make sure that as a family, that as a, as a couple, a married couple, that your marriage is one that has been, that you've entered into that covenant as a promise and a covenant with God and with your spouse and that you are going to stay in that covenant and you're going to do what it is that God tells you to do so that your children can see the consistency and see the love of, of the spouse that you have and let your children see how Christ loves the church by husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. And let it be that. Oh, how we ought to guard that. And, and in this perilous times, we, you think it's perilous, think about what our children are having to deal with today. I, I can't imagine when, you know, kids today, five, six, seven years old. I, I remember uh, uh, Tyler counseling a kid at camp several years ago, 10 years old, hooked on pornography. Man, I was eating mud pies when I was 10, Joe. That's all. And here we are stuck on these things and you know how we ought to be a watchman. You know what? It's okay, parents, to look at your children's phone. You're paying the bill. They're living under your house. You're feeding the little vagrants every day. You're doing their laundry. You're paying their bills. And so you know what? It's okay to check and hold them accountable. Matter of fact, when they're older, they're going to appreciate it. Oh, they'll think right now that you're not very smart and that you're a tyrant, and that you're just trying to run their lives or ruin their lives, and that's okay. Let them think what they want. You're not here to please them. You're here to please God. And you're here to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and, and you are to raise them or train them or consecrate them to live for God and learn some discipline and learn some accountability. You know, I, always, I, I used to hear this a lot, and and, and most of the time the preachers were whining about it, and I wonder why. But, you know, they say, you know, as a pastor, you just always live in a glass house. So what's wrong with that? What's wrong with being accountable? It helps, doesn't it? 
And so you do that, and you live in accountability and, and be sincere. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you be sincere in who you are. And, and, but we need to be watchmen for our homes. We, we need to be watchmen for our churches, and, and we need to guard against those things. And how do we do that? Well, Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy right before he dies, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead and is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they uh, shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. You, you know, we can gripe and bellyache about all those that are hardened to the gospel, those that don't want to listen, but it doesn't say anything about that. It doesn't say about telling God how hard it is, and that we need to give up, and we need to walk away. You know, I find it sad. I This week, uh, this week alone, I, I think of in Craig, Colorado, Hayden, Colorado, and Steamboat Springs, Colorado, the, the, the church in Steamboat's looking for a pastor. The, the church in Hayden is looking for a pastor who just came, was there six months, packed up four months, packed up, went home. The one in Craig was a charlatan who tried to sell a property and go start a church in Texas somewhere. I do pray that God puts that man in the grave for what he did as a pastor. And so now we have three communities up there now that are struggling and have no one to go in there and preach the gospel and, and to tell people about Jesus in all of northwest Colorado. And why? Because we think that we can't endure afflictions and, and we're too, what, what, we're supposed to be treated special because we're a pastor? I remember reading when George Whitfield would go into towns that they were throwing rocks and stones and trying to kill him and, and booing him and hissing him. And so he started meeting out in the pastures because they wouldn't even let him in town. He'd go in there and he'd preach the word of God. Thousands came to trust Christ as their Savior. Man died when he was, I think, 27 years old. But it made more of an impact than some who'd lived to be 80, who just hid in their closet and wouldn't tell anybody about Jesus and wouldn't be a watchman for their communities. Oh, how important it is that we stand up and preach the gospel and truly be a watchman for our families, for our churches, for our communities, for our state, for our country. Let us be a watchman that God is truly pleased with. And then you go back to Isaiah, and we see the resolve. He says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. Well, I love that. They'll never hold their peace. They're never going to be silent. They're never going to be inactive in what they're doing. And it doesn't matter day or night. They're going to go out and they're going to tell people about Jesus. Isaiah, when, when God was saying, and in the very beginning of Isaiah, was writing about uh, and telling people that these things are going to happen. And, 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 and he's asking, who, who, whom shall I send? And, and Isaiah immediately said, Lord, send me, I'll go. And so then God says, fine, then you're going to go and 
And then Isaiah asks him, he says, well, God, how long do I go? How long am I to do this? How long am I to preach this message? How long am I to tell them that the Messiah is coming and going to set up his kingdom and we need to be prepared for that? How long, God? And, and God said, then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And you know what? Isaiah did just that. Isaiah went to the grave, and by the time he went to the grave, they'd been taken captive. And the houses were empty, without inhabitants. The cities were desolate, and it was all a quiet place. And Isaiah did what he was called to do. Well, what about us? Well, how long do we stay? Well, I see the same thing. Until the cities are without inhabitants. Until there's no one on the streets and the houses are without man and the land is utterly desolate. Let us stand. Let us resolve to do these things. Let us stay and be what it is that, that God has called us to do. How long do we do the ministries that we do as long as they're reaching people and God is blessing that and, and bringing people to Christ? Then yes, we need to continue to do that. Sometimes we ask ourselves, God, how long do you want us to keep doing the quam ministry? I mean, you come out of there? Yeah, you are. You know what? You're pretty tired when you come out of there. But you know what? As long as God is saving those little children and, and we're making an impact in this community and, and maybe even the adults are so proud and arrogant and so busy in their work that they don't have time to, to, to give any time to God. What's this God thing? God's a fairy tale. But here, I'll let my children go because then I can have a couple of hours of time to, to sit around and chew my mushrooms and smoke my weed and drink my liquor and, and pass out on the couch and set a great example for my family and beat my wife, shoot the dog, kick the cat. You know what? That's not what those kids are learning here. Those kids are learning that, you know what, there's somebody who created you, and you're wonderfully and beautifully created by the very hands of God, and that he loves you, and that he has a purpose for you, and that he wants to save you. And even if your family isn't what it needs to be, and they're not being the example that it needs to be, God is your example, and God can be your father, and God can show you something perfect along the way, and God can give you a love in your heart, and God can give you a joy that you've never had, and, and God can help deliver you out of even the worst of situations, and God can use you greatly. That's what they learned. There's something, oh, so much better. And so we're going to be a watchman, and even when the community says, we don't want to hear it. We don't care whether you want to hear it or not. You're going to hear it. We're going to tell you that Jesus is the answer. I, I read the story of a gentleman back in the 1700s and was thrown in jail for preaching the gospel in America. Threw him in jail. And you know what? He couldn't go pastor's church, so the church came to him. Every Sunday, he would stand and look out the window of his jail cell and said that he had the little ledge there where the bars were at, and he'd lay his Bible up there on that little ledge, and he would preach through the bars to the church family who was gathered outside. And people were saved. 
weekly as he preached the gospel from behind bars. How long, God, do we do this? How long is our resolve? Does it end when the pastor dies? Does it end when somebody gets upset over over something that's a preference and not a doctrine? You know, I find it interesting. I probably shouldn't share this, but I will. Dwight told me, he said, you know what? He said, I was at that funeral, and I saw this man who loved people just where they were. And he took these people, and he, and he helped them, and God used him to show them. the. He said, what I saw and, and what testimony I had was that was the true love that Jesus has for people, and they got to see that. And he said, what a magnificent time. And here this church is, is weeping and grieving because they've lost their shepherd. And he said, and then I'm going to go to a church meeting in, 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 on the way home that Monday because they're having a fight over having screens in their church. I told him, I said, fly me out there. We have people who are dying and headed to a devil's hell in Colorado, in Morgan County, Colorado. We don't have time to fight over trivial, non-important issues. Let us preach the gospel and let us do until our last breath. Let us love people where they are and help them to get where they need to be. I find it sad what churches will fight over. I'm friends with those preachers who condemn me because I don't preach with a tie on on Wednesday night. Make sure that when I die, that my wife buries me in a Carhartt. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't. I, I don't want it. I don't want this body raptured with this nasty old tie around my neck. (laughs) How long? The resolve. Let us go until the day we die. And the message. Never hold their peace, day nor night, that ye may make mention of the Lord. Keep not silence. Several years ago, the, it was my own little fight, but several year, years ago, the city of Fort Morgan had decided that they were going to start doing the Bob Stock. And first of all, I got to say, if your music is so bad that you got to get drunk to listen to it, you probably ought to change your venue. Okay? And I told, the, I told city council that, too. They didn't think it was near as funny as I did. But they decided that and I think that was when, at the time, Bob Stock was down in, in uh, River, I, I call it Goose Poop Park. Uh, <laughs> if you ever been down there, you know what I'm talking about. You can't walk anywhere. Uh, <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that, but delete that. <laughs> but they decided that they wanted to have alcohol served at the Bob Stock. And they wanted to serve it in the park. Well, praise the Lord, founding fathers of Fort Morgan years and years and years ago, 1800, said there's not going to be alcohol in the public park. I'm like, thank you. So I went to the city council meeting. I said, it says in the law that you're not to have liquor in the park. And I don't think you ought to have liquor in the park. 
Why do, why do you want to even give anybody the possibility of getting in a vehicle drunk and running over my kid? I said, I might be down there not for the Bobstock. I may be down there enjoying the playground. That's when my kids were small. I love that park. I don't want some drunk going through there running over my kids. And so, fortunately, there was enough other Christians that showed up there. They're like, you know what? We're not going to have beer in the park. Thank you. And so then a few years later, shows up. Here they are. They're going to have beer in the park. Now they've moved up here by the library. And this time, I'm the only one in there. Now, last time there was 20, 30 people in there, all mad. This time they were a little sneaky about it. And I'm sitting there. And finally, they, at the end, they let me have a chance to talk. And when I start to say, oh, they're like, oh, and the one says, now I know why you're here. And said the same thing. So they kept it out of the park. They just made a beer garden in the street. <laughs> Look, you already know my stand. I believe it's, it's a biblical stand. Don't drink alcohol, okay? I have not found it ever to be anything healthy or good for you or your family. But I guarantee you, I have buried many because of what alcohol has done. And I have counseled many families who have been separated and destroyed by it. I have dealt with children who have been beaten up, accosted, berated because of their drunk daddy and their drunk mama. Okay? I'm not against you, okay? I, I'm not against you. And some of you may think, man, this guy's really crazy. All I want to do is help you. And there's something better. And God can deliver you from it and show you a joy that you've never had before that that junk will never give you. And anyway, I got to quit on that. But here it says, ye that make mention has the very idea to remind. To remind. What are we to remind people of? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Let us remind our culture. Let us remind our community. Let us remind our churches. Let us remind our family. Let's go into the state and tell people that Jesus is the answer. And every time they want to push you down and say, you can't be saying that. Yes, I can. I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to be inactive in this. I'm going to be what God's telling me to be. And, and I'm not only to be that for my own family, for my own good, for my own wife, for my own children, but I'm to be that for my own church, for my own community, for this state, for this country, for the world. We need to be telling people that Jesus is the answer. And that's the message. And so let us be the watchman with a resolve that never quits telling people Jesus is the answer. Remember what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I end with this poem called My Position, and then we'll pray and we'll be done. This was found in the office of a young pastor who was in Zimbabwe. And so it's been published before, but this is what it says. It says, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power 
The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by power, and labor by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I don't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Let us be that. Let us stand. Let us be a watchman. And let us love deeply those that we care about. You know who that ought to be? Everybody around us. Oh, God, give us the love that he has for his people. And let us live that way. Father, I thank you. And Lord, we look to you today. As we give thought to our theme of the year to be a watchman, Lord, we are challenged by our faith at times and for our faith, and that's okay. A faith not tested is a faith not trusted. But Lord, as we are tested, help us, Father, to grow stronger in our faith, not to turn our backs, but truly to run closer to you. Give us wisdom. Give us that knowledge. Give us the understanding. Give us zeal. Give us courage. Give us confidence to do what you would have us to do. Father, I pray you do a work in our hearts. Do something in this church this year that only you could do. And Father, we love you. We praise you. And we pray, Father, that you do a work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.